Alex, you're getting hey. a, you're you're getting a friend in New York. I am. Vinny Caravella is gonna come be my friend. Oh, <laughs> yep. Uh, Vinny has signed up to be part of the buddy program. Uh, yeah. Which he he decided, you know what? The person on the staff that needs a buddy the most, it's Alex Navarro. Yeah, as a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm what can uh, considered a uh, a giant bomb staff member that is at risk, uh, <laughs> at risk for what I don't really know. Uh, you've been you've been on your own the longest. Yeah, so I'm at risk if, for a crippling loneliness that will never ever go away. <laughs> so this is this is how they're 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 getting around that. This is how they're gonna you know get through all the, the potential legal hurdles of that by giving me someone so that my crippling loneliness doesn't kill me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm I am very excited to see uh, what happens with all that stuff that occurs in the coming weeks and months, which people have been asking, but very few conversations have actually had been had about what occurs in terms of like, does this show get impacted? Probably, but in what yeah. way? I don't know. And you know, no we'll, idea. we'll worry about all that stuff once Mr. Caravella has is settled, has actually moved. There are lots of things that needs to happen between now and then. I'm, I'm sure this show will not go away entirely, but obviously when change occurs and there are new people in New York, new things are going to happen, and that's exciting. So I'm... Yes. That That is more or less the only thing that has been decided is that things will be exciting. <laughs> yeah, that, and I'm also going to force Vinny Caravella to become a, uh, a wrestling fan. That's that's really the only two things that, that are determined at this point. That's... You know what? I would be... I would love to watch the transformation, or at least the psychological destruction of Vinny Caravella into a wrestling fan. Yeah, no, that's 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 definitely on the table. Uh, yeah, I, Vinny and I have talked a little bit about some of the stuff we want to do, um, but, you know, in the initial goings, it's just going to be like, okay, let's lock down our office space. Let's make sure we have equipment. Let's make sure we have, uh, you know, everything we need to actually do the things we want to do. So there aren't a lot of solid plans yet as to exactly what kinds of features and content and how the morning show will be affected and all that stuff. That's all going to come kind of after we're a little bit more settled. Uh, but we are talking about that stuff now, which is, uh, which is good. It's always good to sort of plan ahead on these things. Kind of a, kind of a new concept for me. I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You've been on, yeah, you've been on your own for a long time. Now you're going to have someone that like is a producer and tells you, Hey, Hey, you have to go do this. And I'm looking forward to that so much, I cannot even tell you. <laughs> so you uh, you reviewed Wolfenstein this week. I did. Wolfenstein in New Order. The only thing you could tell us on Monday was that, whoa, this game is weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's, it's, uh, it's a weird mix of the hyper-violence of what a Wolfenstein game is generally kind of known for. Uh, and this, this very, like, really dark undercurrent of storytelling that is you know it, it's kind of trying to be sort of this this examination of the sort of you know cruelty of man and you know the 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 horrors of war and all that kind of stuff meanwhile you're fucking nazi killing dudes in an alternate history 1960 with crazy laser weaponry and going to the fucking moon and shit like it's this bizarre tonally it is one of the most bizarre games i've played in a very long time but it also happens to be a pretty damn fun one which is uh which is a nice change of like honestly it was kind of unexpected i mean machine games is a new studio they uh they come with a good pedigree a lot of them the the founders of that studio came from starbreeze during their 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 ideal era um but you know you never quite know what you're gonna get with a first game like that especially something that's sort of like trying to insert itself into an existing franchise 
Uh, and I think they did a pretty spectacular job with just making a shooter that is a lot of fun. And even if some of the story beats and some of the character stuff doesn't always work, uh, it's a lot more ambitious than I would ever expect anyone to be with a game called Wolfenstein. Yeah, that was probably... I, I've played up until Escaping the Asylum. So, you know, I've, I've done, like, the first mission and then had the period transition and then... I just, How I'm good is that of... opening credit sequence? Like that bit where like he's in the asylum and they do that sort of like quick transitional bit. I, I think that it's fantastic. And I think that's like, it's a very strange part of the game in which the tonal stuff that you allude to in which they want to have their cake and eat it too, which is to say they want to embrace the legacy of Wolfenstein, which is sort of weird and sci-fi and kind of out there, but also tell a weighty story and yeah. they seem to kind of sometimes run into walls and just keep running into them because they they want it to be serious and they want to tell an emotional connection between various characters and the idea of like the third reich taking over the world is this you know this awful scenario and what might happen and what the ramifications with that would be but then also he's like grumbling one-liners to himself yeah, and I mean, a lot of those one-liners veer pretty wildly between just him fucking grumbling under his breath about how he wants to kill somebody uh, and him, like, having these sort of, I'm going to say, the thin red line light sort of, like, you know, observations about death and destruction and the cruelty of, of man and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's a little hokey in a way. Like, it, it, BJ Blazkowicz is not a character that I expect much deep commentary from, and when they try to make him do that... Uh, it is not ideal. Uh, the actor who plays him isn't bad, but the writing for that character is not spectacular. But I think that it, the rest of the characters in that game, though they're not afforded a ton of time individually, make up for that. Uh, there's a lot of in, there are a lot of differing and interesting personalities among the uh, the, the resistance fighters you meet. Some of the villains are, uh, again, not given necessarily enough time to really establish themselves, but as personalities, they're a lot more interesting than just bargain basement evil Nazi types. And I, again, my main complaint is that they, I just don't think they went far enough with that stuff, uh, because a lot of times it feels like the game is constantly hurrying you along to the next part where you get to go kill people, which is fine. I get that. It's a shooter. They want you to be shooting stuff the majority of the time. But if you're going to go to the level where you're going to actually spend time creating these characters and giving them personalities beyond the rote, you know, just like this is the person who gives you instructions in a mission and that's it, you know, level, flesh it out. Spend the time on them. Let you get to know these characters so that when you do something that is supposed to have an emotional impact later in the game, you actually feel it as opposed to just going, oh, well, that's too bad. Well, it's interesting. I wonder how much of this is the struggle over what you do with a Wolfenstein game in 2014 with a team that is clearly talented enough and capable of telling a engaging, you know, emotional story within such a silly context. And not that you can't use sort of out there premises in order to tell sort of grounded, uh, you know, emotional stories between characters, but I wonder if that just speaks to there was a, uh, a tweet going around this week that um, had a, a image of 
B.J. Blazkowicz from you know the original game, and then an image of him from the modern game, in which the first tweet was, "Man, look how far games have come!" Because it started as like this little pixelated you know box, and then it's like highly detailed 3D model that looks you know incredible and is you know is fairly realistic for a guy of you know like unrealistic proportions. And then this other person took that and flipped it around and said, "This doesn't actually show how far games have come. This actually shows how little games have moved in the last 20 years," which sort of struck a nerve with me in that like why are we telling another Wolfenstein story in 2014 yes machine games seems to have done just about as much as you can do with the Wolfenstein game in 2014 which is to say people are probably pretty tired of this being totally out there so we need to ground it in something so that it's a little more interesting but why are they making it a Wolfenstein game in the first place? I know the answer to that question because they own the license and they have to do something yeah. with it. But but like just more generally, it's sort of depressing that there's another Wolfenstein game. And it's almost more depressing that it's pretty good because I, I wonder if they could have done more if they were given a, a little less constraints uh, around you know a specific franchise. Yeah, I mean, for me, I get the impression... I mean, I don't know what Bethesda's level of interest is in focus testing or, you know, trying to to sort of micromanage, you know, projects like that. I mean, I don't know exactly how much they got involved in, you know, uh, Machine Games' direction of that game. But it does feel like there were parts of that game that were just cut out because they the pace needed to move quicker like someone said you're spending too much time on this character you're spending too much time trying to establish this you're not getting people into the shooting fast enough you should go make them shoot faster uh and it's a little it's irritating in the sense that you know again these are interesting personalities they they spend the time giving you the backstory for them and you know having actors who obviously know what they're doing portray them uh, and then it just doesn't really do a whole lot with them outside of, again, you know, a few little interactions here and there that are interesting, and then just a lot of, like, mission talk. Uh, and it's like, you know, cutscenes, like, will just sort of jarringly, sw- like, go from moment to moment, just, like, cutting lar- what feels like large swaths of the story out just to get you back into another mission. And again, the shooting is fun. That's the key thing. It is fun to play the game. It is exciting, like even playing stealth in that game works, which is a minor miracle in a game like that. Like you would expect the stealth to be awful, but I actually played it stealthy a lot of the time. And I think part of the reason it works is they give you, you know, completely unexplained, but who cares? Basically uh, a distance meter between you and the commander. So like when you switch to the stealth sections, the game like really smartly explains without like beating you over the head with it that you're basically entering a section that you should be stealthy in or at least you have the option uh or an advantage if you are stealthy in which you have commanders that if you kill them they can't call backup and until you kill them they'll keep calling backup and you can die pretty quickly in wolfenstein uh, especially because you have to manually pick up health it you can't just run around and it'll just add to your total which is an annoyance that is, is separate from from this point but that the the stealth sections are kind of fun because the AI dumbs itself down enough that you do feel like you can kind of sneak around and throwing a knife from across the room at a guy's face is pretty satisfying. Yeah, and the the thing that I'll say to the AI is that, yeah, when you're just like walking around and the AI hasn't been alerted, it's pretty generous. It'll let you, you know, if, it, if someone sees you peeking around a corner, they're not going to come straight at you. Like you have a little bit of leeway. But 
when they are alerted and they are coming after you, they're actually pretty good. Like they use tactics. They know how to flush you out of, of, of cover spots. Like it, you can't just camp down in one spot forever uh, and expect to get away with it, which is a nice, it, it's, a, it's a good balance, I think, between, you know, the kind of just dumbing down a little bit for the sake of making sure the player can do these things like the stealth stuff well and actually making the firefights pretty tough i think like i got into some real t rat like intense difficulty spikes uh especially toward the end of the game not always the most fun when the game starts getting really hard but i at least admired the fact that it forced me to stay on my toes and keep rethinking my tactics yeah and i actually found that the they don't maybe teach you enough about it when the feature is introduced, but the slide mechanic, uh, which mm -hmm. allows you to kind of like skate along the ground, but also still be firing, really useful for like group situations. And you manage to dodge a lot of bullets in the process, but they, you know, they sort of just introduce it and then just say, ah, I don't know, go use it later if you want, I guess. And, and I think that is an important uh, strategy that maybe they don't emphasize enough. But I will say that the game's perk system is brilliant. I love, mm -hmm. love, love the the way that you sort of kind of buff up your character attributes over time is to perform specific tasks. Like, for example, uh, you know, throw a grenade and kill two guys with a single grenade, and then boom, you've unlocked a perk that, uh, you know, makes your... I'm not sure what it exactly is, but, like, let's just say it makes your grenades more powerful. Uh, or another one is, like... Uh, do five stealth kills with the throwing knives and then you can carry more knives and what I like about it is that it kind of gives the same sort of sensation that I get in sort of like a, a ratchet and clank game where I start doing tactics that I wouldn't necessarily rely on because it's fun to unlock the skill tree like mm -hmm. just getting the upgrades is gives me that little endorphin burst and so well you know maybe I'm not gonna it's what I why the reason I ended up discovering the slide move being useful because one of the perks is, you know, do a slide move and kill three guys while you're sliding. And then suddenly I realized, holy shit, that's really useful for getting around corners. Yeah, I wish the perk system was a little bit more obvious about what it's actually doing for you. And there were definitely some perks that I got that I never even noticed I had until I went into the menu and looked like, oh, I have this. This is apparently a benefit that I have. I did not realize it. Um it's a smart way of, of, of unlocking that stuff, I agree. I just wish the actual perks themselves were a little better, and that the game was a little bit more adamant about you understanding what those perks do and why you should get them. Because for the most part, I managed to go through the entire game not even really thinking about that system, unless I happened to be in that menu and notice it was there. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's interesting. It, yeah, sure. I, I think it's an interesting concept, though. I, I think in terms of how you do perk systems, I, I found that to be more fascinating than just like gaining experience in between levels and then yeah. just assigning them, like actually making the player perform an act and, and by doing so maybe discovered something about the game mechanics that they wouldn't have discovered because you can play a lot of that game just dual wielding and running through every room. Yep. And that is a completely valid way to play. It's a totally fun way to play sometimes. But I, what I like is that they've fleshed out these other systems and while the perk system may not be perfect, it at least gives you an incentive to play around with some of the other systems. Because I, I, I did find, like you, the, the stealth worked more than I expected. Because as soon as it was introduced, I was like, well, this is where I just shoot guys and don't engage with this. But in fact, I found uh, the, the stealth to be uh, pretty enjoyable. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, the, the stealth is better than average. Though, like you said, uh, there it, there's something to be said for just dual wielding automatic shotguns and just blasting the living shit out of everything that comes, you know, happens to hoove its way into your field of vision. That is uh, that is deeply satisfying. If it if only for the just unbelievably just voluminous clouds of red goop that just flies everywhere when you do that it is that is a seriously gory game uh as as a wolfenstein game probably should be but man there were some times when i was just watching heads explode body parts explode all that shit i was just like god this is this is just what people think video games is this is this is like the the total (laughs) this is the sterling example of what people who don't play video games imagine video games being and maybe there's something wrong with that maybe not i don't know but it kind of is yeah and and, you know and you mentioned this in your view you know speaking to some of the tonally weird stuff like for example like very early in the game it's, it's not a spoiler that you know there's a jump in time because your character experiences a concussion and that sets in you know, in in motion, the main events of the game where the Nazis have taken over, and you need to try and find a way to stop them, uh, is that you 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 awake from this? I think believe fourteen year yes concussion, and like you're in bad shape. Not like, just a concussion, the, like comatose state. You you have just watched a an elaborate, extremely well done cutscene, like that does a lot of storytelling very very quickly in a way that games are traditionally very very bad at maybe not video games but just video game writers and just kind of in awe at how well they were conveying a lot of story very very quickly and establishing characters in a way that you're like oh i get them and i get the emotional it was great and then you stand up and you can do all the shit that you know blaskowitz could do when he was at the top of his game like he can slide across floors and you know it works like you get over it immediately but i think I don't even know if that's a bad thing. I think it just speaks to the the inherent weirdness of the game in general. And again, well, I don't even necessarily think that's a bad thing. It's just, it's odd. Well, he wakes up and his muscle structure has not changed one bit in 14 yeah, he years. He, he has not atrophied whatsoever. No. Despite the fact that he has not moved in 14 years. And when uh, I screwed up my shoulder and I didn't use uh, my left arm for two weeks... It atrophied to the point that when I laid on my side, this part of my arm could not lift a one-pound weight. That's right. how quickly your muscles atrophy. And I'm not asking for realism from Wolfenstein. That is an impossible standard to reach. I just thought it. I, it actually made me laugh the first yeah. I, when I realized I could slide. I just imagine these the, these kindly old Polish people who run this asylum taking him into their basement gym and like like manually forcing his <laughs> arms to lift weights or something like that's the only way that could possibly be and it's just so ridiculous it's so ridiculous yeah uh, so, that's I mean, that's, that's enough about Wolfenstein whatever it's 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 super good the reviews on the site I I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I actually thought it would I thought does it, would. it have it's, multiplayer no none none multiplayer. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I guess you get that Doom code in there, though. Which you is do. For multiplayer. Yeah, Doom Beta. It's like right there on the box. Look at the the Doom Beta. You can go to well, that. Could could not have something uh, more uh, tonally opposite from uh, Wolfenstein that came out mm-hmm. this week. I wish I said I could say I played more of it. I'm wondering if you did. Did you play any Transistor? I did. I've played about four hours of Transistor, four or five, somewhere in there. Are you playing on PC? I'm playing on PS4. 
Okay, so the PC version has problems. Oh, no. Uh, there is a intense hitching problem where about every, let's say, minute or so, the game just straight up stops for oh. about two to three seconds. Um, it is... I'm not sure exactly what the issue is. You can apparently turn, put your game into offline or Steam into offline mode. So once, so it'll stop pinging a server, and then that appears to fix it for most people. That oh. problem got fixed for me when uh, that uh, when I turned it into offline mode. But then the game just crashed. You know, two different times, just a hard crash where the game just hard locked, and then two other times where I entered a room, it just went black. And no. then I had to control delete. So it seems like the PC version is having uh, some issues, unfortunately. But the hour or so I did play was pretty fantastic, and I purposely avoided checking out anything about this game. Uh, I because I knew, hey, I loved Bastion. I don't need to play any of a Transistor. I'll just play it when it comes out. So I honestly had very little concept of the combat system, which genuinely surprised at how familiar. And different it is from Bastion. Yeah, I so the thing I'm enjoying the most uh, is the combat system. Uh, I I didn't like I I've played it. I didn't necessarily understand exactly how it all would would fit together just in playing the demos that they've had at various events. Um, but once you kind of get a few battles in, you start to earn some of the new attack abilities, and you realize how you can kind of mix and match those things into the different weapon slots and then use the different attacks as sort of like buffs for the for the main ones that you want to use. Uh, it's a really elegant and surprisingly uh, just enjoyable system. You know, it's, it's strategically minded, but it's not overly difficult. Um, and the, the, the thing where you, you're going through the world and you'll enter these like uh, sort of training area backdoors uh, do a really good job of actually kind of forcing you to learn some of the intricacies of those attack systems. And like, you know, like you have to kill these guys quickly or you have to kill a certain number of waves of enemies. And that sort of forces you to learn the system and get good at, you know, figuring out how the different abilities work together. Uh, so that has been a really pleasant surprise for me. Like I've been really invested in the battles. Like I, every time a battle comes up, I don't groan. I'm like, okay, cool. Here's a new way to try to try some stuff out and see what happens. Um, and you know, the art is amazing. Like, like Gen Z is, is a terrific artist and the, the, the look of the game is spectacular. Um, and I love the music. Uh, I really love Logan's performance, uh, throughout the game. Like it's, it's nuanced. It's not just like Rux Redux, which is nice. Um, the only thing I'm not super loving about it yet is the story. Uh, I was going to ask because I'm, you know, I've played about an hour before I just decided I'm going to go play Wolfenstein. And when I come back from vacation, this will all be patched and I'll be <laughs> I'll be good to go. But so Bastion, I don't want to say the game hits you over the head with the story, but the story has a narrator that is explaining everything that's happening to you as it's occurring. It was a, it was a novel creative choice that hadn't seen in a game before that I thought worked really, really well. And it seems like with Transistor, they, despite, you know, you have a sword that talks to you, he doesn't act as a narrator, he's just a character. The story seems kind of obfuscated in a way that one hour in, I'm not entirely sure what's going on, which I, maybe you can illuminate whether that changes as you get a little hours in and the world kind of fleshes out a little bit, but it feels like they purposely went in the opposite direction 
and it's left me a little bit confused, at least in the early goings. Yeah, I mean, just straight up, when you started that game up, did you think that you had missed like an opening cutscene somewhere, like you would accidentally skip through something because of the way it starts? Yeah, there there, there are ways to start abruptly mid scene. But yeah. I started and I was like, oh, I must have hit start and just like skip something by accident. Yeah. And so it, it's, you know, it's purposely opaque from the get go. And it, like as you go along, going to those different terminals, reading what's going on, uh, you'll get like voice uh, messages from some other characters in the game. That helps flesh it out a little bit. Like, I now have a greater understanding of what this world is that they're in, like what the city is all about. The fact that it is sort of like this, uh, I, in, in theory, it's like this sort of technocratic utopia where like everything is sort of digitized. You know, you can program what color you want the sky to be, that kind of stuff. Like, it's, it's a very, I'm not going to say Matrix-like, but it is sort of like a computerized world that you are sort of manipulating using the transistor, uh, and and this process stuff is sort of like a corruption of that. Um, but as far as, like, who the villains are, why I'm really, you know, like, why I'm set against them, what, what it is, how this all sort of ties together, uh, I haven't really gotten a great sense of that yet. And, you know, again, it's like all the aesthetic qualities are there, and I really, really like the combat, I just feel like I don't really understand at all why it is any of this is taking place. And it's like you said, I think that it's just a little too... It's it's just a little too evasive about bringing details out and letting you understand what the context for any of this is. Like, it's trying to be very... Uh, it's trying to be very vague, but it's being vague in a way that's a little bit distracting. Yeah, and, and I wonder, you know, there's some people in the chat who have finished the game saying, like, oh, everything converges and kind of comes together and, you know, it okay. all makes sense. And I, and I okay. certainly, you know, I don't I don't doubt that, but at least in the early going, it's abrupt if you're used to the storytelling styles of Supergiant, if you know, if you extrapolate from one game to be the storytelling yes. styles of Supergiant. Yeah. But it was so distinctive that, you know, the, 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 the transition is a little bit jarring and... I do find the execution of the early stuff to be a little clumsy. It may just be me acclimating to the world and its storytelling, but I have found it hard to engage with the world very quickly, which yeah. was not the case with Bastion. Like Bastion was just like a light bulb, and you're I'm in just there in yeah. it, and you, you, it's it's fantastic. Whereas, you know, the combat I think in Bastion takes a little bit longer to get going, and the combat in Transistor is immediate. Yeah. It is it is cool and compelling and strategic from the moment you start playing. So, you know, they, the, the games have a little bit of a different uh, sort of flavor that uh, I'm excited to, to keep playing more. There's, you know, people are saying they played the PC version, had no problems, but just check the Steam forums and my issues are, are not mine alone and they're, they're well aware of them. So I, I'm excited to, to play more and to see where it goes. But I'm just, it's really interesting to see an action game try and slow down the combat a little bit i guess yeah. and yet not slow it down at all it's a really really interesting mix yeah it's it's i you know i, I i'm i'm really engaged with it now like i once i started reviewing wolfenstein i kind of had to put it to the side after playing for about an hour uh but last night i got some time with it and i just kind of wanted to keep playing keep playing until i realized it was like oh it's hey it's 12 30 i should probably go to bed um yeah it's you know it it I think that all the elements around the story are very good. It's I, like I certainly want to see it through to the end. I'm just you know I'm I'm 
I'm not going to say I'm super disappointed by it, but I'm definitely a little bit like, well, I kind of wish I understood a little bit more about what was going on. And, you know, hopefully it all comes together in the end. Uh, I think even if it doesn't, uh, I'm still enjoying the combat enough to where that's enough to keep me interested. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to playing that when I get back. I'm already stressed out that despite the fact this week I managed to finish Super Time Force, Tesla Effect, and the Outlast DLC that... Uh, I'm just scratching the surface on Wolfenstein. I can't play Transistor, and by the time I come back, Watch Dogs will be out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, that is out next week, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I finished Super Time Force. Don't really have anything else to say except I think it's fantastic. I, I'm i looking... I've heard a lot of folks tell me that the hardcore mode that opens up at the end really is kind of where the game shines mm-hmm. because I didn't have a whole lot of problem finishing super time force i enjoyed it it had some challenging moments between me getting from one end of the level to uh, the next but i never had to restart because i you know really really screwed up uh, because you have enough continues or clones that you can create that you can get yourself out of basically any jam yeah and apparently hardcore mode is not that at all and you uh. really need to be thinking about your placement so i'm looking forward to maybe having some free time at some point and, and checking that out because it really seems like that's where the real Super Time Force starts there, yeah. as as they say. But uh, have you have you played anything else this week? No, no. I I've been meaning to get back to Super Time Force. I just with other things going on, I haven't had a chance to do it. That's kind of me, kind of my weekend game at this point. Um, other than that, yeah, that's really all I have lined up right now. It's that and uh, you know, inevitably more fucking Hearthstone because goddamn it, that thing has its hooks in me deep. I spent money. Yeah. In Hearthstone for the first time. Oh, no. No, I mean, whatever. I spent many, many hours playing that game, and I was like, you know what? I just want to get a few extra packs, so I spent like 10 bucks. I figured 10 bucks is a worthwhile amount of money to give them for the number of hours of entertainment they have given me. Here is the hilarious part. First pack I open, I get Illidan's fucking Storm Rage, like, rare card. Then oh, I get, nice. And then the second pack I open, I get another fucking super rare card. So I got like two of those in a row just by I, I don't think that's part of the algorithm. Like suddenly you pay money and then you get the good cards. It was just a really weird happenstance it, to happen. It might be. That would be unfortunate <laughs> if that were the case. If that's how they, they program that, that's that would suck. But uh, I didn't mind giving them 10 bucks. I was like, you know what? I just want to kind of get some extra cards. I felt like I was just had a really lackluster deck for most of the classes, so I just kind of wanted to boost it up a little bit. Um, And, you know, again, with free-to-play games, it's like the whole point is you pay when you want to, and in this case, I felt like I've spent so many hours playing this game, there's nothing wrong with giving them a few dollars. And I I think that's completely reasonable. That's how those games... That's how those mechanics should work out, where you have played a game long enough to really enjoy it, and you're like, ah, you know, I didn't pay anything for this game, and also, maybe I can get some cool cards in the process... That seems that seems pretty reasonable to me. It's not it's not like you did it because you hit a wall and oh I can't keep playing unless I I pay. Like, yeah. It's not a pay to win scenario necessarily. It's just you decided you wanted to get some cool cards and also yeah. give Blizzard ten bucks in the process for making a cool thing, which yeah. ain't bad. No, I don't think it's bad at all. And you know I probably won't do it again because now I have a pretty nice selection of uh, class and uh, generic cards. I feel like I'm winning enough. So, yeah, I'm good. I think I'm good for a little while. Though, goddammit, I cannot get over rank 19. Like, I, I keep getting up to the point where I'm going to hit the next level, and then I start losing like fucking crazy. It's driving me nuts. 
Yeah, I, I've fallen off Hearthstone, unfortunately. I haven't, I haven't played too much in the last couple of weeks. I'd, I've seen some tweets from various people who, uh, uh, friends of ours who travel a lot that also play Hearthstone, trying to test the limits of Hearthstone addictiveness in, and, and then reporting back on which airplane Wi-Fi will be fast enough to allow you to connect to the Hearthstone servers. Apparently, so, most plane Wi-Fi is not capable of doing it because most oh. plane Wi-Fi is garbage it is but apparently some people have managed to be on like you know cross uh country flights and managed to pass that six hours with hearthstone so i'll pro i i am going to be on a six and a half hour flight tomorrow and so i'll probably buy wi-fi on that if it's there i'll probably give it a shot yeah, give it a shot, you know? Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Who knows? But it's worth trying, right? I mean, granted, your iPad battery will probably die halfway through that flight if you just play the whole damn time, but, you know. Do the Manta Ray says, uh, you don't get better packs for playing, or better cards for playing. Alex is just a ridiculously lucky bugger. You're also now a bugger, Alex. I hope you know. That's um, uh, fine. He hears the legendary drop rate is uh, roughly one card in every 80 packs. So, yeah, maybe you did get crazy lucky. This is my lucky face. Nicely done. Yeah. Nicely done. Uh, so I finished it last night on Spoon with Scoops, the Outlast DLC whistleblower, uh, which I have to say I think is uh, leaps and bounds better than Outlast uh, was, which was a game I enjoyed, but I tend to not really... It's very difficult for horror to work in long stretches of time. Uh, I, we touched on this briefly when I started playing Outlast, but it was only reinforced by... The three-hour duration, probably less if you're a little speedier than I am, uh, of Whistleblower. It From start to finish, there are no... There are times where you kind of get to take a breather, but then you're just right back in it immediately, and the game tells a quick, concise story that, surprisingly, they ditch all the mythology from Outlast, which is mm. great because the mythology is terrible. Right. So instead, they just focus on one easy to tell story which is that the reason you are a journalist coming to this mental asylum and outlast in the first place is because someone on the inside leaked some documents to you so in the dlc you play as that whistleblower uh who leaked those documents and that gives you a reason for leaving because you're going to be found out uh it gives you a compelling reason to be holding a camera because you're trying to document everything that's going on here and with three hours, they they don't have to stretch it out too far. So you get some some really crazy characters and some really crazy moments and not a lot of time to think and breathe about it. And then it's over and it's fantastic. I could not recommend it more to, to folks that maybe enjoyed Outlast, maybe didn't get all the way through. I don't want to play a horror game for seven hours because that's just too much. I, the DLC is sort of the perfect encapsulation of, I think, what what horror can be uh, as a video game, and it definitely comes highly recommended. Now, can we talk a little bit about the moments that you uh, you experienced that you described as the most uncomfortable moment you've maybe experienced in a game yet? Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to spoil exactly what happens. The archive um, it will is actually uh, it'll be uploading after we finish this show, so it'll be up early this afternoon by the time it processes through our system, but. In vague terms, one of the things that is uh, kind of shitty about the horror genre is its treatment of, of women, in which 
like women and rape and sexual violence are constantly used as like really, really easy ways to sort of trigger emotional reactions from the viewer. Right. Uh, like the horror media does that all the friggin' time. It's just, it's 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 not even shock value at this point. It's just sort of a given that like that's going to happen in a lot of horror films at one point or another. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the horror film Teeth. I am. Okay. So in Teeth, uh, it is. Uh, I forget what the actual like myth it's based on, but essentially, it's based on like a, a long vagina dentata. Yes, there it is. That you know, a vagina can grow teeth and then chomp off some stuff. Chomp, if chomp. It chooses to. So that film explores that, and it's not a particularly great film, but I love the premise because it flips this trope of horror films on its head, which is that it's always the women who are being targeted. And this, and and this, in uh, in teeth, you know, it's it's the men and making them uncomfortable and. That's what I'll say about Whistleblower, which is that it takes that idea, takes it to some really firsthand experience extremes. Yeah. And I wanted to turn off the game and turn off the stream. I didn't want to see what happened. And it was just a long moment where, you know, there's a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. And you can just sort of imagine where th- like things might go from there. It's mm, that was the noise I was making during the entire sequence was just. Mm, now wait, is this like a handsaw? Are you like strapped to like a conveyor belt that has like one of those log saws at the end of it, sort of like a like, you know in a bad cartoon or something? Like what? How? What's what are the mechanics of this? Just strapped to a table and there's a buzzsaw and you have no clothes on and you're slowly moving closer to the buzzsaw and they have rendered your whole body your whole body Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's weird yeah in a a way that i think is pretty great like especially in the context of me of horror as a genre because part of the reason it made me super uncomfortable is because I am a dude, yeah, and that I thought was great. Like I have some some more general issues with how that character that is doing that to you is contextualized, but the that specific sequence is fan fucking tastic. Because the reason I was made uncomfortable is specifically because they designed that sequence to make a guy uncomfortable, which is their primary demographic, and then horror just almost never does that, and it works so beautifully. In whistleblower that uh, I cannot imagine what that sequence would be like with Oculus. Oh man, I don't want to understand what that sequence would be like with. I Oculus. think you just would... unsold me on an Oculus Rift at some point. Like I think I now no longer want one of those. <sighs> yeah, uh, it wouldn't work a second time around. Like it wouldn't. It wouldn't be nearly as shocking. You know, part of the reason the sequence works is because you are just like this isn't this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. But it is, and uh, yeah, it was. It was genuinely surprising, and they they sell it really, really well. You know, I have a general problem with with Outlast that I it's 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 really not picking on Outlast so much as it's another thing that horror media does, which is just they, they tend to use like mental illness as a villain in mm-hmm. like a really uncomfortable way over and over and over again. When like lots of people have various degrees of mental illness, and they are not 
crazed killers that are going to come after you. And your and penis, so, for that like, matter. Yeah, and and it's just, man, how many movies and books and games have been set in a mental asylum? Like, there are other places in the world for horrible things to happen. So yes. it's just sort of a, a tired thing in, in horror in general that sort of perpetuates a pretty nasty stereotype that is is just not necessary. You can mm-hmm. still accomplish crazy, deranged medical experiments without portraying people with mental illness as as awful, crazy people. But yeah, that archive will be up today for premium members, and it is... Woo! Mm-hmm. Woo. Sounds like a hell of a time. Yeah, I was really glad when the credits rolled. Yeah. I was really, really glad when the credits rolled. So, so that's what I spent my time uh, with this week. We should... Uh, we should check out some of the news. There was some yeah. stuff that happened. Some stuff happened this week. Um, they're doing Metro Redux, which we already kind of knew. Mm-hmm. They're taking a Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light, bringing it to PS4, Xbox One, and PC, and SteamOS. So there'll be Linux versions uh, of that as well. Um, it's called a True Director's Cut. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is that they're ac- I'm they're updating Metro 2033 with like tweaked mechanics and things like that. They're still going to, they're going to have like multiple modes. So basically uh, Metro last light was a much better action game than Metro 2033, which to me, while interesting, theoretically, I I thought 2033 worked better because it was sort of an awkward, a disempowering experience. Uh, So they're keeping all that stuff in there. You just have to switch a toggle if you want those settings, but you can also get all the additional graphical fidelity and, and other changes that, that they're making. And yeah, I mean, the Metro series is terrific. I think 2033 is a better game and tells a better story than last light, but both of them are, are well worth playing. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I've, uh, I played a little bit of last light, but I, I, it was one of those games that like, I really wanted to spend a hell of a lot more time with. I just, for some reason fell off of it. Uh, Maybe this will be my opportunity to go back and actually play both of those games uh, fully. But uh, I say that about every time. Anytime anyone does a collection like this, and then nine times out of ten, I do not. So, Raflick in the chat is saying that Microsoft registered a new Phantom Dust trademark. Sir, you don't say things like that unless you mean them. To tease the idea that Microsoft would make a new Phantom Dust that could just be them Monstrous. just re-upping the trademark for the sake of keeping it in case they feel like doing something doesn't necessarily mean that they have a new thing in the works. I refuse to get my hopes up about New Phantom Dust because that is just... That's a fucking terrific game. That game is so good. I don't know about that, but I... I, I Wait, do, really? I thought it wasn't bad. I thought it was it was neat, but I, I didn't I didn't love it or anything. Uh, it's, just, I'm not going to get into it. Okay. Hey, hey. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to get into it. ZeniMax filed a lawsuit against Oculus. They did. Which means uh, shit just got real with <laughs> Oculus and uh, and Zenimax. I mean, basically, if you go on our site uh, in the story itself, I have at least for you know the next couple of weeks, I uploaded those documents to my Dropbox, so you can you can download those after I I, I bought them from the court. Um, and yeah, I mean, Zenimax basically just outlines in more detail exactly what they said before, which is that. All the advancements of Oculus were made while Carmack and other employees were still part of Zenimax, and thus Zenimax is owed a substantial amount of X. They haven't mm-hmm. really said what, but 
money, cash money or equity. I'm not sure if the equity matters as much now that they're purchased, but because yeah, I don't know how that stuff works necessarily. But yeah, I, I, I wonder what this means. It's It certainly seems to have gotten a whole lot more serious, though. Yeah, I mean, but that also seems like this is where stuff was headed. I mean, you know, there have been overtures toward trying to settle it, I guess, or, you know, there have been, you know, at, at the very least refutations by uh, by Oculus in regards to what uh, ZeniMax was claiming. But, you know, it, it, at this point, ZeniMax didn't seem like they were really interested in, you know, a simple settlement or anything. They, they've been kind of belligerently pushing this ever since, you know, the, the, the Facebook buyout. And... You know, this this I, I at this point, I totally expected this to happen. It seemed like the exact next step that was going to happen. Uh, I still think eventually this will just get settled with an amount of money. I think them taking it to court is just them trying to force the issue and get more money out of it. Um, I don't think this will even end up in trial because I think that will be more expensive than either side really wants. But them at least filing the lawsuit you know, it puts the hammer down in a way that says, look, we this these are our goddamn demands. This is what we want. Whether they'll get it or not, whether that's reasonable or not, will probably depend on how much of the lawsuit manages to stand, you know, when it's when it's taken uh, or presented in front of a court. Uh, a lot of it could get thrown out or it could all get, you know, put uh, say, yes, this is fine. We are going forward with this. Once that's determined, it seems like they'll probably come to a settlement of some kind. Yeah, that's my suspicion as well I, I don't think that this is going to go to trial they, they just want to get as close as they can yeah. to try and increase the amount of money because if you know you look through the lawsuit you know, Zenimax was uh, being offered by Oculus some sort of equity or, or money so it's this all seems just more like grand negotiations over what that figure is yeah please add a zero please add a zero yeah please add a zero because probably from Zenimax perspective this whole id software thing hasn't really worked out not great real well no they bought id software gave wolfenstein to another developer and doom by all reporting about that game's development seems to be a complete train wreck and most of the talent seems to have left that studio yeah i think i think rage was a huge drain on that studio and and everything and then you know it came out to I'm not going to say zero acclaim, but but somewhere in the just hovering above zero acclaim. Uh, and I don't think anyone really bought that game either. So, yeah, it's been a rough mm-hmm. run for it ever since the, the ZeniMax buyout. Uh, last night, the Harmonix Kickstarter made it. Yeah. Against, against seemingly naysayers, including myself. I did not. I did not think that that Kickstarter was going to make it. It's, but they had an inexplicable surge of momentum three days uh, before the end, and they sort of rode that to hitting their seven hundred seventy-five thousand seven hundred seventy-five thousand dollar goal. Yeah. Uh, last night, I think around eight or nine p.m., which is got to admit pretty pretty impressive. I had definitely written them off as being able to make that. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to be able to do it either. I mean, last week they were. I think at the end of last week, they were at like 200 something K and it looked like just a, a massive distance between uh, the goal and 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 where they were. But uh, the one thing they did do was add those additional reward tiers like that thirty five dollar tier that they added seemed to give them a huge boost, like a lot of people bumped up to that. Uh, and then, you know, other developers starting started chipping in like I think uh, it was it uh, Insomniac chipped in like seventy five hundred dollars for that game. A few other studios did. 
And, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm impressed they managed to pull it off, given the the, the short amount of time and the high, high dollar value they assigned to it. Uh, and frankly, I'm just, I'm glad it happened because I really want to play a new Amplitude game. I think that's, you know, I, I loved Frequency and Amplitude. I loved the spiritual successors they made in, in, in the years following. Uh, like, there are a lot of people that, you know, thought it was kind of gross that, that a studio like Harmonix would be using Kickstarter for this. But the fact that it was so hard for them to even get over that number, uh, which is like what they said was like half the budget of the actual game, is I think speaks volumes to the fact that like those games are niche games. They're 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 cult favorites. They're not you know massive mainstream successes. That's not an easy uh, gamble for them to make. And you know also having the 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 slight handicap of basically being beholden to Sony as to whether those get, what platforms those games go on and whether they get published or not. You know there's a lot of a lot of challenges there for them to make one, which is why they probably didn't make one for you know eleven years or so. So you know it's. You can think it's gross all you want, but there probably wasn't a good way for them to fund that game themselves entirely. And, you know, I'm just happy that it's coming because that is a game I very much want to play. Yeah, and it's actually, like, not super far off, right? Like, the, the game's supposed to be delivered, was it March or May of next year? Yeah, yeah, I think they said next year. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I wonder what this means for... I have to imagine other developers were watching this pretty closely. Yeah. I have to imagine this could have implications for other companies deciding to throw their hat into the ring. But, you know, I don't... Harmonix is a company that has specifically cultivated a community. Yeah. Not every developer has that, even developers that make really good games. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, Rock Band and Guitar Hero, like, Harmonix has a lot of community people that is very close to their community. That is a big reason that this Kickstarter, you know, was probably able to turn around. You know, getting a lot of companies to chip in $7,500 also helps kickstart momentum. Sure. But I don't, I don't think the lesson from this should be like every other sort of big studio could could do something like this because I just don't think that's true. And I, I think there's an equal possibility universe where, you know, Harmonix did not pull this off. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, if it hadn't pulled it off, that would have been a real bummer. Um, and it would have probably spoke to, you know, probably would have suggested that, you know, maybe there isn't necessarily room for all, you know, studios to use uh, a Kickstarter this way. And I still don't think there necessarily is. I think that, you know, it, it's you have to have a project that people really want. It doesn't matter how big your studio is. You have to have something that people actually want to play. And in this case, there were just enough people that wanted to play Amplitude uh, that they were able to fund this. Uh and I don't, you know, whatever. It, it's, it, it. I don't think this is going to lead to some incredible snowballing of every studio trying to kickstart everything. I don't think that's going to become somehow like this default model now that a studio like Harmonix has done this. Because whatever, Double Fine already did it. Like other other you know independent twice. studios have done this. Yeah, twice. So it's like fine, you know, like the, it, for projects like this where there, you can tell that there is not going to be a publisher giving them the money to just do this. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, and, and I think definitely this exposes a little bit more about how much we don't understand how much how games are funded or how much games cost. Yeah. Uh, rather, I think that has been a telling part about this Kickstarter is coming to grips with, oh man, like games studios that want to pay their people properly and 
have health benefits and all the things that go along with having a proper studio, theoretically, it's, you know, $775,000 goes away really, really quickly. Yeah. And I mean, Harmonix, you know, is, is not as big of a studio as it once was. Like, it used to be like a 300-person studio. It is nowhere near that now. Um, but they still have a good number of employees, and they have multiple projects going on. And so, you know, they have to basically decide, can we can we fund a, a section of our team making this game for, you know, the better part of the next year? Uh, and that's that's not going to be cheap, you know, unless you're, you're literally just putting three people on it, which that would not result in the game I think people want to play if they had done that. Uh, Peter in the chat asks, uh, do you think Plastic Instruments will make a return at some point this generation? I want to say yes. I don't think they will in the form that, that we remember them from. Like, if they, if someone does a new guitar game or someone does something with, with drums or whatever else, it's not going to just be another version of the five-button game that we were all used to playing. Uh, I don't feel like... I don't feel like the interest level would be enough to justify the cost of making that. So they'd have to do something pretty radically different. I mean, I don't know if it's just going the the Rocksmith route and just like literally just like, here's a thing you plug your guitar into, do that. Um, it may not be that, but it, it has to be something different because I think, you know, the, the reason the plastic instrument bubble burned out the way it did before was because those games were super fun, but they you hit a wall at a certain point. Like once you're an expert at, at all those games, you can just kind of play all those songs and you're just basically waiting for new songs to come along. There's not like a lot of growth in that. I mean, Rock Band 3 was interesting because it added the real guitar stuff and the keyboard stuff and all the other thing, you know, all those other things. It just, by that point, people had sort of burned out on the whole plastic instrument thing. And so that game did not get much traction. Uh, Rocksmith, you know, for its part has been doing pretty well, I think. Uh, and most people who play those games seem to really like them. So I think that it's also very focused. Yeah. Right. Like it's not, it, Rocksmith is not trying to be broad appeal. Yeah. Rocksmith has a very specific intent and it does that by all accounts very, very well. Yeah. So they, if, if the, the broader, more mainstream version of music games like that, uh, is going to come back, it's going to have to be a way to take the more complicated act of of playing something closer to a real guitar or real drums or whatever uh and finding a way to balance that uh in a way that the people will actually be willing to invest in because i think if you just put out another five button controller and be like look here's more guitar hero here's more rock band most people are gonna be like uh i i've got like six of these already and if they don't work with the new systems then i don't i don't want to buy more that's fine yeah, I mean, because that's a reality, right? The, the, none of the, the devices you own are going to work on these new machines. No. And these new games are not going to come out on the old machines. So, like, that's the catch-22 with that stuff is, like, could they come up with inventive new software that was interesting and compelling, especially when you start to imagine subscription services? Yeah. Probably. But the big hurdle is how do you convince people to spend another $200, $300 on the, the peripherals? Like, that's... That's that's a real struggle. I, I thought uh, what Sony decided to do with SingStar uh, this week is really smart. I suppose you know we have to make sh sure it works in practice. But theoretically, this new SingStar, uh, they'll probably put out uh, you know a high-end microphone that you can purchase, but you can download an app and use your phone as the microphone. Yeah. And if anyone's ever recorded audio with their phone, those microphones are pretty dang good like you know i don't know how good the, i'm not an audio guy so i don't know how they are relative to you know a real microphone obviously there's probably a vast difference but they sound pretty good to my ears yeah. and if you if that works 
you know, obviously you can't really extend that to guitars and bass and drums, but I think that is a really smart way to for Sony to say, hey, we want to put another SingStar, but man, like, are we going to really ask people to spend 120 bucks, whatever it costs, to you know get a, a microphone bundle? Like, yeah, we'll put that out. Maybe some people will want it, but for most people, hey, the phone will work just fine. So here's a new game where you have to play the real guitar into the microphone of your t- of your telephone, and that will transfer into the game, and so the game will recognize your guitar playing, but it has to go into the phone. There, that's it. I've 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 I've, I've saved music games. That's fantastic. Yeah, everyone will buy way it. To, It'll be great. Lost Archives uh, says in the chat that they they've said the old mics and wireless mics will work too. If that's true. That's pretty. That's awesome. Well, the mics are just that's USB great. mics. I mean, the the uh, microphones. What about the, the wireless ones? Uh, they're still just I think just USB plugins. Like they don't have con- the controller uh, guts built uh, into them the way that the guitars and the drums did. Like that was why you always had to use a regular controller to navigate with the microphone when you were the singer in those games because the mics never had any of that stuff. It was basically just USB tech. Hmm. So that'll work. Interesting. Cool. Well, either way, it's super smart, and I really hope that they do a subscription. So what I would love to see from SingStar mm-hmm. is if I could pay like 15 bucks like on a Friday evening and just get access to the whole library for 24 hours. Yeah. That's what I want. Like I'm I am so over buying single track stuff. I will will not do it. It's the same reason I won't buy Super Mario Brothers 1 again on a virtual console. I'm done. I've done it 5 times. I'm over it. And I'm in the same way with music games like i am not going to buy single tracks again yeah but if singstar somehow allowed me to do a karaoke mode which is like hey you're just renting it for the evening uh you know that man that sounds fantastic the a la carte model was something you could only do for one generation because the technology and the licensing and all that stuff like yeah you could get away with that for the duration of an entire generation and you know i think that both Activision and Harmonix and also like Sony for SingStar, they all kind of lucked out uh, in the sense that they, you know, that generation lasted a lot longer than other console generations had in the past. Um, in the case of the the future, yeah, it's like you said, they can't, obviously none of that stuff that you've already bought will carry over. I think asking people to rebuy songs that they would have bought uh, already bought on a previous console uh, will not fly with anybody, especially people who spent a lot of money on that stuff. So yeah, you're right. I think a subscription model is the only way to go with that if they're going to do it. It's the only way to give people the music they want while not making them feel cheated for having spent money in the previous generation. Yeah. So I think it's going to be curious. I suspect Rock Band will come back. What form, with peripherals or not, I I don't know. I'm definitely uh, curious to see you know what Harmonix thinks about that. If Activision comes up with a way to bring Guitar Hero back, It'll be. I suspect at least Rock Band will come back at some point. It's just a matter of what is that? Is it is it hardware based? I don't know, but I'm definitely curious to see what they end up doing with it. The same. Um. So I think that's I think that's a show. I think that's a show. That's that's it. We uh will not have a show on Monday because I am going to be in the Dominican Republic from Saturday to Thursday. You lucky son of a bitch. Assuming I get back. On time, we should be able to do a, a Friday show. I should be back uh, sometime on Thursday afternoon. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to do as little as possible uh, during that six-day, five-day period because I, I think my wife will stab me if I, if I do anything. 
I've negotiated 10 to 15 minutes each day to check in on E3 booking, and right. that's about all I have been given leeway on, or else, <laughs> or else I don't. I, I may come back in a in a real sorry state. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm really excited uh, uh, about it because I never take vacations. Yeah, that's ever. great. Look, and I want to. I when you come back, I want I want all this that you have going right there. I want that uh-huh. to be at least two or three shades darker. I want you to get some sun, just relax. I want to see you in 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 prime shape when you come back next week. Uh, folks are asking Alex if you're going to go see uh, the new X Men this weekend, which I'd be doing if I was around, but I will be gone. Uh, I might. Uh, I'm more likely to go see Godzilla finally because I have not had a chance to do that yet, uh, and I have some time this weekend uh, not reviewing things to, to finally go do that. So I will probably go see one of those two at least, if not both. Um, but yeah, I will definitely see Godzilla. So at least there's that. Uh, and also, congratulations to Mr. Gary Witta, ah, yes. who we discovered yesterday is going to be uh, the writer on one of the Star Wars spinoffs with, speaking of Godzilla, the director of Godzilla, Garth Edwards. Uh, they are writing and directing a spinoff uh, that is coming out, I believe, in December 2016 as Disney moves to sort of marvelize the Star Wars universe and have... Uh, films that are in between the major ones so episode seven right that's the next one yes. that's coming out right yeah uh that comes out not this december but next december and then gary and garth's movie will come out the following uh december after that and we don't know what it's about but oh my god the fact that i can say i am friends with someone that is writing a star wars film is something that i still cannot quite wrap my head around and I feel bad for as much as I am excited for Gary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, and, you know, knowing the, the kind of nerd that Gary is, I imagine this has probably been the most exciting time of his life. The only question that remains is that will he find a way to put Will Smith in the new Star Wars? Yeah. Either of them. Well, like the, the Will yeah, Smith that he works say, with in the, movies I'll or ta- <laughs> the, the tested one, doesn't matter. But both, you know what, put them both other side one's a sith one's a jedi put them against each other right sold yeah that's a fucking movie right there this is my favorite part about the next two and a half years of gary's life is assholes like us who know him pitching him really stupid ideas yeah uh, about a new star wars film but congratulations to him that is uh amazing amazing news i just it's crazy it's nuts i don't know i there really are not words for it uh except that uh, congratulations, because that is that is really damn cool. Um, uh, I will mention now that uh, I'm going to try and record a premium Q&A uh, to go up next week while I am gone. So if you want to send uh, me a message uh, on Giant Bomb, just flag it as premium. Uh, you can send me a message on Tumblr or email me or whatever, uh, but just send those, and then I'll click the ones that come in this morning, record that uh, this afternoon uh, to go up next week. Uh, I'm also hoping to tonight... Uh, once the sun goes down to record a quick look of Among the Sleep. I got a code uh, for that this morning, actually. That's the the horror game where you play as a two-year-old uh, crawling around as his house goes to shit. Oh, God. So that comes out <clears throat> on the 29th. Uh, so I'm going to try and record that uh, before I get out of here. Uh, I'm trying to cram it as much as I can uh, to have some things uh, sprinkle out next week. So uh, send over some questions, uh, and I'll record that quick look. Uh, but otherwise, uh, Alex, I'm going to... I'm going to see you next week. Have a fun vacation. See you next time. I will. Oh.